how lucky are you? It's one more go with a very, very, very special guest. Barry, are you excited? I thought I was a special guest. No, that's another show. Nah, you're you're the you're part of the foundations here. You're the you're the hey, brick, and I'm the roof. You shot it, all right? <laughs> yeah. What we've got over here, brewing to my left, simmering with sexual energy. We've got the best bit of bit socket. We've got Joe Merrick. Oh, thank you for that. And so, see, when you said simmering with sexual energy, I thought you'd mistaken me for Scott for a second. No, 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 Scott. Scott's, Scott's energy is more of a dark energy, dark, <laughs> dark sexual energy. I think. Yeah, there's something kind of deeply dark about the way that he. Yeah. Uh, you're the light. You're the you're the, the nice. You're the flowers you're and the, the chocolates yin. and that. You know. uh, Scott definitely. I mean, we didn't actually ask him to come on the show, but every time I talk to Scott, I kind of get the feeling he's like looking down at his nose and he wasn't. He wasn't happy. Like, like no. he, he wasn't happy that we asked Joe. And we didn't ask him. See, when you talk to Scott, do you feel like you're talking to yourself in the past? Is that <laughs> <laughs> the distant, the distant the past? <laughs> No, it's more like a branching timeline where every, every decision went right. Your skin is so soft. <laughs> it's like uh, like be like Looper. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got some angry texts off him. Like he wasn't happy that we went with Joe. Was he not? It? No, he wasn't happy. Like really? He's like, can I believe you got fucking Joe? <laughs> no, he didn't. He, he didn't I can't believe that. you get texts off Scott. I don't have any kind of that access to. Uh, gaming royalty. Oh, oh you, you, you didn't even want to see the filth that he sends me. It's disgusting. It's but not let's bring the audience it. along in this journey because some of them, I don't know who, might not be aware of what BitSocket is. So, Joe, Joe, tell us what you do with your days. Uh, BitSocket is a YouTube channel. We do videos about games, keep them short, keep them funny. And, uh, but we've not done them for a while because we've been making a TV pilot recently. What? A TV pilot. Uh, we've got a kind of rare opportunity to try and get on television. So, we're taking it and we've, uh, we've made a pilot. I'm very proud of it, but we're going to see where it goes next. So the five of you out there who still have televisions, that's something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you branching out in any other media? Yeah, we just started our new podcast, much like this one, except not anywhere near as good. The other oh, day. No. That's, that's <laughs> accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just a wee kind of test thing, though, so we're going to settle into it and we're going to do something cool with it, I think. Good. So, so do you like the video games, then? <laughs> I do like the video games, yeah. I like the video game. What 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 video game do you like? <laughs> uh, oh, the Final Fantasy Thirteen. <laughs> you like you like that? off for that. Nothing else. Like, right. I'm wrong with liking a game that's good. <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't know. Like it's even a forecaster. I never know what to say. I think the one that I always go to is probably Zelda. It's like the best. It's the oh, best. Of the best. The fan, best yeah. I think. But I've got a lot. Of, you know, I love racing games. I love shooting games. And let's let's just finish off introducing young Joe here. Aye, what so games? What, what's your game in history? Aye, aye. What was your first ever console? Right. Well, this is getting into sort of what we're going to be talking about later on. But the first thing I had to play games on was the BBC. You know, a lot of my friends had consoles oh, at the Joe. time, but I know. Oh, Joe. <laughs> you know how the cliche, like you know, sons of if you're a, if you're the son of a teacher, mm. you've got a BBC. Well, I was the son of two teachers, so it was pretty much guaranteed 100. Two that BBCs. The BBC. <laughs> yeah, we actually did have two BBCs. <laughs> <laughs> A BBC Micro and a BBC Master. BBC but, uh, Two. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm rewriting a uh, son of a preacher man about you. <laughs> son of a teacher. Son of a teacher man. Two BBCs. BBCs uh, uh, yeah, no. So BBC. And I was. Uh, I play a lot of games that at the time were older than I was. You know, but I didn't realise because I was so young that you just. You know, it's just fun playing uh-huh. games. You know. Uh, and it must would, have been interesting going into school and talking about games. 
and oh, yeah. your mates having a yeah. fucking clue what yeah. you're talking about. I, I was talking about like Repton and like all my friends would play like. I don't even know what that is. You <laughs> <laughs> lost me. Repton is like in a bargain basement version of Boulder Dash. Ah, cool. uh, in fact, that's what the BBC. Oh no, are. I do remember that. That yeah. was on the spectrum. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there like, we go. Oh, the BBC. Thank like, God. For a minute there, I thought we'd gotten someone who's yeah. too hardcore oh, right. for the one more well, uh, podcast. Lindsay, Lindsay Robertson. She knows all about the BBC. She's she, she's one of the she's one of my people. She knows who the BBC is. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Kiss of death there, Lindsay for Joe. <laughs> She's one of my people. She's one of the Final Fantasy thirteen. People. I think what you'll find is you're one of her people. Yeah, that's not my relationship. That is, yeah. right. But what did, how did you develop after the BBC? Uh, for years and years and years, I would ask my mum and dad. I'd, I really want a console, you know, because all my friends had them and that. And then when I saw Zelda for the for the N sixty four. I just knew, like that was. I really needed needed that game you know, mm. in my life, you know. And Super, uh, Super Mario sixty four as well, you know. What What was your What would you say was your favorite console? Ever? Uh, oh, I, my heart always goes to Dreamcast. It's just it's the ultimate console, but it's also it's, this is why Joe's on the podcast. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> it's tinged with like I think the best console level is probably the PS two. There's no sort of you can't go over that, mm. you know, because it's got the most best games. Aye. And N sixty four has the two actual greatest games ever, which is Super Mario and Ocarina of Time, you know. But the Dreamcast has so this like kind of tinge with tragedy, mm. and that's why I love it so much. And there's so many great like arcade games that are perfect ports, like Crazy Taxi and all the fighting games, the Capcom ones and Capcom ones and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shenmue, obviously. Which, yeah, uh, I cry a wee bit every time I think about Shenmue. Um, I think we've proven your credentials, and you are definitely somebody that is more than welcome to join us on one more go today right. to right. talk about. Today we've got a. A wide range of incredible games. Barry, what are you talking about? Um, I'll be talking about Azure Dreams for the PlayStation. Ooh, what you? What are you discussing? I'm going to talk about Jet Set Radio! Yes. Um, uh, well, Jet Set Radio. <laughs> and Joe? What uh, I'm about? talking about Citadel for the BBC Micro, which probably nobody's heard of. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. <laughs> looking forward to it. So some news in the world of retro gaming this month. Um, as we spoke about briefly last time, uh, Game Boy Advance titles coming to the Virtual Console, coming to the Wii U. Um, Are they coming to the 3DS? No. No. Right. I'm, I'm mainly interested to see how the Wii U handles the GBA emulation. Yeah. Because it's not quite right on the 3DS. No, it's not, it's not quite right, no. So uh, over the course of April, we'll be getting Advance Wars... Uh, yes! I've never played it, looking forward to playing that for the first time. Uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, uh, Metroid Fusion. Yes! Oh, good, good. Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, which is, isn't is one of the better Kirby titles, unfortunately. Is that the one where he's got a phone? You phone up your pals and they come and help you out? I think so, man. Uh, I can't get past the first level, I don't know what I'm doing in that. There's, uh, uh, there's a lot of DS Kirby games, actually. <laughs> I always get it confused with Squeak Squad as well. <laughs> but Squeak Squad's amazing. Um, WarioWare Inc. Which yeah, F Zero Maximum Velocity, which is the I'd say is the worst F Zero game. So <laughs> I unfortunate, think that's harsh, but I haven't played Maximum Velocity for a long time. It does. Well, soon you'll be able to. There's just something <laughs> about it. It's just, it's just not. It's just no right. It's just not there. Mm. And Golden Sun is the last of the titles. Never which played that. I'll yeah. be happy to replay. Is I really enjoyed Golden Sun. That's a yay for Barry. Mm. For me, that's just sort of like oh fine. So they're available. They're Dribbling out over the course of April uh, cost you six pound twenty nine pence. Does that seem expensive? No, yep. no it doesn't. I think it does. Fuck off. No, it doesn't. Six twenty nine for a game is fine. Like I don't, I don't understand all this. Uh, I, I don't know. It's one of those weird. I'm, I'm maybe just aware of how much it costs you to buy those actual games on cartridge. And yeah. A lot of those you can get well cheap. It's it's, uh, it's, it's like this really weird. Obs- um, 
concept of value that we have. Like, I always get it with, like, uh, gig tickets. Like, if I'm going to go and see a band, mm. like, if it's £4, I'm like, all oh, right, then that's a fair price to pay to go and see my mate's band in a pub. Yeah. As soon as it gets over £5, I'm like, I, like, well, why is I, don't that? I don't know. It's just, like, that mental barrier yeah. there. And, like, if these games cost less than £5, I think I'd be, like, buying them like sweeties. But for some reason, as soon as it hits £6, I'm like, oh, this is a serious investment. I'm going to have to talk to my accountant. I think it's a fine price for... You know, especially for Golden Sun, I'm looking forward to in Advance Wars. Like, no, I mean, it's my first chance great to play games. them. Really, it, it's not a surprising price either. It's yeah. just the same price as everything else. But um, this is you with your TV money. Now you got your pilot, just throwing it around. <laughs> Six pounds, <laughs> mad stacks. Um, anything else, Nickel? Uh, well, um, uh, similarly, um, Outrun is coming to the Sega 3D Classics on the 3DS. Sweet. Obviously, that means nothing to you too because you don't use the 3D on your 3DSs, unlike yeah. me. Do you, do you, you use it all the games? time? All the time with the 3D on. That's I remember you slagging me off at the, the Admiral for that. Dedication. That's incredible. Can you play games longer than half an hour with the 3D turned on? Like, just the, what gives yeah. out first? The battery or your eyes? No, damn, there's nothing wrong with it. See all that? You're reading the sun too much. There's nothing to your eyes, man. <laughs> um, so we also had like a, a rather exciting redevelopment with the uh, Shenmue retrospective. Yeah, the, the post-mortem that they did at GDC. That's mm. right. Did um, you watch that, didn't you? I did. I'm not going to say too much about it because it's really worth watching. Um, we'll post a link to it on the Tumblr so you can watch it. But if you have any interest in those games or any interest in, you know, big budget game development, I'd check it out. It was really, really amazing stuff. I think that's what makes it kind of most interesting. It's one of like the first really big game projects that was going like like they were really sort of pioneering a lot of like the like the massive studio the, the sort of the hundreds and hundreds of people working on the same game sort of thing i mean it, like it feels fairly late on in video game lifestyle to be talking about that being yeah. like the first time it happens but you know really i mean even before triple a was even a thing yeah well triple a i mean even when you had like the, the only the only thing triple a about <laughs> that game is it's qtes hey you get it because press the A button three times Aye. I did get it I did I did understand the joke <laughs> fucking assholes Azure Dreams, Barry. So, uh, Other Life Azure Dreams, released in European territories in December 98, is simply Azure Dreams, is an interesting game. It's kind of a mix of a roguelike, an RPG, and a life sim. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Sheer and the Wanderer meets Harvest Moon meets Pokemon. So, um, developed by Konami, of course, of course, Konami. Um, <laughs> for, the, for the PlayStation, uh, Azure Dreams. Is one of those games that I consider as being a part of like the golden age of PS1 RPGs. Um, it was released alongside other things like Vandal Hearts, which I'll remember I did way back in episode yeah, one. It's mm. the very uh, first. Totally. Uh, Sikoden and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, even though it was released in the golden age, I still think it's a valuable contribution to the PS1 library, mm-hmm. which is why I wanted to talk about it, because it's not just another, you know, PlayStation turn based JRPG. Um, the game centers around, like the story is, uh, centers around the the desert town of Monspaya, 
which is a popular destination for like treasure hunters who want to seek out the riches of the town's monster tower, which is this massive, imposing tower that the town's built around. Um, you play as Ko, who is the son of a famed monster tamer called Guy. Um, Guy disappears in the tower one one stormy night. Uh, well, you know, well, Ko's still just a child. Um, the game then begins proper on Ko's fifteenth birthday, which is the age that you're allowed to enter the tower from. And you know, his whole thing is he's going to get rich and make his make his fame and his fortune off climbing the monster tower. Stepping out at the age of fifteen to go and grab yourself a monster. There might be a metaphor in here. I'm not entirely sure. I was grabbing monsters. I don't know. Since 12? Yeah, yeah. I was waiting those towers and grabbing monsters. Grabbing your monster. Grabbing your, oh, t- not grabbing your tower. Well, that was way younger. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely a monster in your case, I think. <laughs> uh, the gameplay in Azure Dreams is split between the monster tower and the town itself. Uh, I'll talk about them both. The way the tower works is y- your aim is pretty straightforward is to ascend through every floor, 40 and all, to reach the top of the tower and find out what happened to, to your old dad. Um, you do this with the help of a monster companion known as a familiar. Uh, the game controls in a sort of semi-real-time. Uh, it's best to think of it as a turn-based system where every step you take or every action you make is counted as a turn. Mm-hmm. You know, For every move you make, the enemy will then make a move. But the, you don't have to like confirm your turn is over at the end of every turn? Nah, not at all. It's not turn-based in that sense. It's the kind of thing that's hard to explain but would become that's immediately clear from playing There's quite a few games like that. There's one called Fatal Labyrinth for the Mega Drive, which is pretty much exactly the same mm. idea. You know, a town, you go up a tower, and it plays exactly the same where when you move, ah, the cool. monster take a move and all that. So ah, It's a common thing. Mm. Um, on your way up the tower, uh, the sort of the, the, the main aim is to find monster eggs. Which you can either sell for, you know, a lot of gold, or you can hatch and use as new companions. This is kind of like the Pokemon vibe. Um, there are over fifty familiar types in the whole game. They can either be encountered in the form of enemies, or you can hatch them out of eggs. Um, and these, they're all, they all have, they have di- three different elements. They're either wind, water, or fire. Um, and there's varied as you expect. You get like a dragon. You get like one that's a weak kind of submarine. You get like wee slime monsters and that just the sort of thing. Sorry, you expect. L- listeners. Barry's hand signal to signify submarine was actually kind of like a. It's because it's got beak. it's got a big spiky mouth on it. It's like a wee submarine with a big spiky mouth. Uh, well, that 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 hand gesture no. really does sell that. Thanks. And uh, you can like you can evolve some of these monsters too, much like Pokemon. Uh, you can fuse them with other familiars, which becomes kind of like Pokemon breeding right. in terms of the way that works with like you know taking moves from certain familiars and then fusing them with other ones so they can learn moves that they otherwise wouldn't learn, so on and so forth. Can so actually it's a get similar quite sort of like a scissors paper stone uh, yeah. combat system. Where That's like how the element system works. Water does fire. Fire burns air. Air mixes up water. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> 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 Sounds really easy to get your head around, anyway. Like, who's got it sorted? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I could be a, I could be an Azure Dreams master, like no one ever, ever was. Go and grab your monster. Um, in the monster tower section of the game, you die a lot. Like, there's no way you're going to make it up the tower, like in your first handful of tries. Um, but I mean, this is where the game starts to become addictive. The way it works is every time you die, you lose all your items. Um, so if you you know you found an egg, 
and you die, you lose that egg. But you'll find rare items called wind crystals, which allow you to warp out of the tower. So they're not something that you encounter at first, but the higher you get up the tower, the more likely you are to find one. So every time you re-enter the tower, your character, Koi, he starts again at level 1. Mm-hmm. Whereas your familiar keeps all the experience it had ah, right. on your previous trips up the tower. So the, the emphasis at the start is to train your familiars up by, mm. you know, repeatedly seeing how high you can climb, you know. So why do why does your main character, why does he gain experience at all if every time he goes back into the tower he goes back to level one? Because if you got your main character up to the same level as your familiar, you'd be way too overpowered. But if you were on level one the whole time, you get to the tenth floor and things would one-shot you and you'd die. Mm. No, no, but I mean, like, why does he gain experience at all if it's always going to be reset? Because if he was on level one and you got to the tenth floor of the tower, you'd get one-shotted by enemies. Oh, so, like, when you go in, you're still powering up as you go through the tower. How long does, like, a gameplay session in the tower last? Depends from... I mean, eventually, I mean, there's no way to start at higher floors. Eventually, you're going to have to make it from one to 40, and that can take up to three, four hours, but... Jinx. Is the tower, are, are, is each floor randomly generated or is it the same every time? It's randomly generated. You go up the floors by finding the finding the elevators and the floors and take you up to the so next floor. So you can't floor. just learn the floor and then quickly nah, go it's up randomly, randomly, randomly and generated. And you can't like skip floors at all. You can't like there's no way to, like like. I think there are ways for. Five or anything I don't like I don't recall because I never got high enough this time. But I think there are secret elevators that can take you up five floors at a time. Don't quote me, I might be making this up. But, <laughs> um, I'm actually writing it down right now. So. I completed yeah. it as a bear, eh? I've not, not completed it this time, though. I mean, I'm I not going to quote you, but I am going to record it and disseminate it over the internet yeah, in the form of a podcast. <laughs> so I think at the start you'll be playing for about, you know, you'll be in the tower for 15 minutes. 15 minutes, then it'll be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and so on mm. and so forth, until you're familiar strong enough to push you to those higher floors. Is it one of the games, do you stick with the same familiars all the way through or do you mix and match them, see what works best or whatever? The absolute most boring way to play the game is you start with a familiar called a Kuhn mm. um, who you know comes and talks to you before you first go into the tower and a lot of people play it, they just stick with him aye, for the entire game. That's what I would do. But it's, it's, you're, it's a bit of a grind is it? that way. When you get to the 12th floor you get a second monster collar which allows you to have two familiars out at once. Oh. And the Kuhn's a good starting familiar, but you really get the most out of it from the the fusing and the, the training, I think. And like the Kuhn's not particularly cool looking either. <laughs> like I mean, he's sort of the Azure Dreams mascot. You see him on the loading screens and that. He's like, I don't know how anyone can call him a dragon. He's just like a wee cute, like a wee cutesy thing. <laughs> well, like wears boots and that. So, like so a dragon. He's like, Pokemon. Like, ah, he looks like a Pokemon. We've really uncovered something deep seated in manners. Like these people calling him a dragon. I, I can't handle it. How are you, my buddy? Idiot. Call him a dragon. But there are a lot of cool familiars. Like one of them, I think one of my favourites is uh, Kraken, which is kind of like an electro robo squid. You know, that's pretty cool. Kraken. Ah, he's cracking. So the design's quite good, though. Aye, um, the character design can be quite divisive. I think it's really, really kind of there's some strange very anime, anime style. Hair I get, it on looks, a lot of the human characters. I think it looks really similar to the old Harvest Moon sprites. It's got that same style, like kind of big eyes, big you know, kind of very deformed, super mm. deformed style, and all that. That takes us nicely onto the town sections, actually, mm. because the other half of the game plays a lot like a Harvest Moon game. You know, your exploits in the tower that allow you to raise money. You know, you come back, you sell items you find on your way up the tower, you sell eggs, so on and so forth. And you can use this money to, um, to you know, make improvements in your town, which could be upgrading your house, buying cosmetic items for your house, 
um, and even stuff like making new buildings in the town, uh, like a bowling alley, a race course, and of course, in true Konami style, he's unlock a lot of mini games. Mm. Like there is a bowling one, the familiar race course, uh, even a theatre where you do like a kind of man's eye comedy routine. When you're nice. <laughs> Pretty, pretty interesting. Is there any benefit to the tower part of the game by like building up the town? Well, you you can only build up the town through either money or items you find in the tower. For example, you can't open the swimming pool until you find the water medallion, which is on the twentieth floor of the tower. Mm-hmm. So they kind of feed into each other in that way. Um, the other sort of big motivator, if you will, for for building up the town is um, there's one of seven girlfriends that you can romance. I say one of seven, you can romance them all. So. This is a Japanese game, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you got a wonderful kind of harem of women as well. Class, all the anime tropes. You got a sick lassie. You got a lassie with kind of twirly glasses on, who's like a library nerd. There's a witch. There's a tomboy. Fifteen. This boy is. Aye. Fifteen. Don't fucking start. <laughs> Good lad. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I did say one of seven, but I'd, I would like to point out you can romance them all. How many have you romanced so far? Oh, in that playthrough, just the one. <laughs> just the one. But when you were allowed. But when you were, I, when you were them, at your obviously, all of them, obviously. They kind of they hang out in your house and wait for you to come back for the tower as well. So. Oh, all at the same time? Is that <laughs> a bit awkward? Aye, it's awkward. Like. <laughs> I mean, so, so it's basically that um, you, you climb, you climb the tower, you do the battling in the tower, and then you, you build up the town and you get girlfriends. And it is a very Japanese game. Like, like I said, you get the swimming pool. And basically, the swimming pool's only there so you can talk to your girlfriends in their swimsuits. Oh, Jesus. Of course, uh, of, course, of course. But no, it, it, it's a nice wee game. And the tower section, the tower sections do get do get really addictive. I'd say. Yeah, just because you want a question when you're talking about having to do like forty levels in a row, like you you must really be on a fine line between this is you know like involving and deep and and interesting, and this is a grind. Mm. And I hate the first twenty levels now. The good thing about the first twenty levels is because the item generation is so random as well. You could find a super rare item on like the second floor, so every trip into the tower is. Not completely different, but different. See, stuff like that never happens to me. See, as soon as there's random, super rare thing, like, it never, never happens it. to me. It never happens to me. So I hate that. What a shame, Joe. I know. What a shame. I, mean, I have a question about the eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, you say like, you can either sell them or hatch them. Mm-hmm. Is there any way to know whether or not you've got a really cool monster inside the egg before yeah, you, you sell it? Or? You can pick up an item. There are a lot of items in Azure Dreams. They do stuff like reveal the layout of the floor you're on, tell you where all the right. treasure are. And one of the glasses items you get tells you what's in the egg. Right. The way it works with eggs is you can hatch them in the tower, but if you hatch them in the tower, they're gone when you leave the tower. Uh-huh. That might sound like, well, why would you do that? But... Your familiar's MP depletes every time you make an action. Every time you take a step, every time it attacks, its MP depletes. And once its MP is depleted, it can't do anything anymore. It can't move. So you have to you have to give it MP restoring items, uh-huh. which is fine if you've got a stockpile of these. But you can only take five items into the tower with you. So basically, you're dependent on what you find in the tower on that run. So luck plays a pretty big part. So you, you might you might get to floor thirty nine and you, your familiars run at AMP, and you have the only thing you have is an egg. So that's why you attach the egg. And just leave your other wee companion rotting on the thirty ninth floor. He'll come out of you because he's got a collar on. 
But if you hatch an egg inside the tower, it's not collared, therefore it's not not a permanent addition. This is a pretty brutal hardcore. It gets more brutal like, if you oh. say you found like the rarest item in the game, mm. and you need to get out of the tower. The only way you can get out of the tower, like I said, is by using a wind crystal or by dying. So you don't have a wind crystal. There's a third way, and it's <laughs> it's harsh. You find a fruit called an olim fruit, which you can give to your familiar, and it'll warp you out of the tower. But your familiar will be permanently gone. Oh my. <laughs> God, that's uh, that's, that's and is it is it like Pokemon? How how attached do you get to your familiars? You get pretty attached. You do you do get attached. Do you name them? Aye. Oh man, <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like. I'm scared. Especially because some of the familiar designs are so awesome, you get really attached to them. Yeah, this is pretty brutal. It is brutal, but it's just it's the sort of risk reward. The, yeah. the way the tower works, sometimes you just have to suck it up and say, I got to floor 36, I'm just going to have to die, because my only alternative is to get rid of my, my favourite familiar. But... I mean, it sounds pretty deep and pretty fun. I mean, how was it coming back to it? Yeah, really good. Um, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It's hard. It's hard at the start, and a lot of people maybe never got past the start because of how kind of unforgiving it is. But no, it's really good. Once you get into a position where you can make it past the sort of 15th floor regularly, you feel like you're really starting to challenge the tower, you know what I mean? You're, and and uh, if you find an egg, that's the best thing when you find an egg. It's like, yeah! <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate thing about eggs is every time you find one, the familiar always hatches at level 1. Right. So you see, you're like, oh, that's me on level 25 and I found an egg for an amazing familiar. That's the next four hours of your gameplay going to be uh, leveling yeah, up, so leveling like up that familiar. Like, like as you get through the game, you're like catching them at like level 40. So They're always at level 1 when you hatch them. Bloody Who's the Pikachu? Kune is definitely the Pikachu. He's on the loading screen, mate. He's on the, he's on the title screen. He's on the box. Is it easy to play these days? Um, it's easily emulatable. Um, you're going to... You're going to spend about 30 quid trying to buy a copy of it and it's not on PSN. Mm. 30 quid isn't That's ridiculous. Not, yeah, it's not too bad. No, I mean, compared to what Sakoden and Vandalhearts yeah. cost now, it's one of the, one of the cheapers. Um, there was a, a Game Boy Color version released as well, which I haven't played but is in the post. Um, and that's kind of different. It's it's basically the, the same idea, mm-hmm. but only for Game Boy Color, and they fleshed it out a lot. And there's like two, three, many times, two, like way more familiars in it. That's them really hammering the we want the Pokemon, Pokemon market. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and there was also a kind of really tenuous sequel called Tau's Adventure for the DS, which the big selling point for that was you drew the runes with a stylus to cast spells. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, Chestnut, there's yeah, a few games like that. It's a pilot shot, though. Castlevania, really draw that shape. Uh-huh. Now. Otherwise you die. Just like real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I there's there's a shitty sequel which you shouldn't bother with and the Game Boy Color version, which I don't know if it's that good. Right. But emulate it. It's easy to emulate and it's a lot of fun. So when is uh, Twitch Please As Your Dreams coming out? That would not go well. It wouldn't it wouldn't work. <laughs> they'd just get constantly gubbed on the tenth floor and then they never complete it. It wouldn't wouldn't work. Oh well. In that case, uh, Azure Dreams is just the game that Pokemon could have been. They're very different games. <laughs> if you like Pokemon and you like roguelikes, this is as close as you're getting to Pokemon roguelikes. So. Isn't Pokemon Mystery Dungeon the closest you're getting to a Pokemon roguelike? Shite, though. Machine Story! You're a starship captain in an asteroid field. Blast the wind, your lasers will blow up your shields. As a missile commander defending your city, if you're not quick enough, they'll show no pity. The invaders won't stop us from the sky, they drop. 
Entering out of this world games from Atari, the number one video computer system with more games than any other. Everyone's gone Atari, the number one video game. I never owned an Atari 2600, and it's certainly not a system I return to today with any great regularity. But it is a hugely important system for me because it was the first video game I ever played. It was 1986. I was in hospital having my swollen, phlegmy tonsils ripped out of my head. I was miserable, sore and way outside my comfort zone, this being the first time that I was aware of sleeping in a bed that wasn't owned by a blood relative. But in the midst of all this, there was a playroom, stocked high with toys of every shape and size, more than enough to keep any distressed five-year-old from crying themselves into a puddle. I could have spent all day throwing action forces at He-Mans over a lake of Transformers, but I was captivated by what was going on in a 15-inch black-and-white portable TV in the corner. In a way, this was the perfect way to be introduced to the 2600. Nothing that could be close to being considered a wow factor. A plastic chair in front of a shitty table holding up some fuzzy grey blobs of light. But I played pole position every second I could. Obviously, I was shit. I crashed into everything. I couldn't corner. I had no idea how to make my fitful stabs at the joystick translate into piloting that blocky car. But the idea of video games was right there. And I was hooked. That, in many ways, is the 2600's legacy, a proof of concept for video games as a whole, a giant multi-million dollar sign that this could be done. And more than that, it was a template for technology, for marketing, for how to make this niche, nerdy hobby a mainstream phenomenon. The story began in 70s California, where Atari and its founders Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney were riding high on the incredible success of the arcade and home versions of Pong. Bushnell realised that as popular as the electronic games that Atari produced were, there was only so much attention span that those single game machines could fill. Other companies had released systems with multiple games hardwired into the machine that used circuit jumpers in the form of cartridges to switch between the onboard programmes. Bushnell saw the potential for selling a system that could eventually host dozens, hundreds of games, and set his engineers to work on a true cartridge-based console. The machine launched in 1977 as the Atari Video Computer System, and got off to a bit of a slow start. It took a while for the public to realise that this was more than just another way to play Pong, but once the possibility of playing any number of games caught the wider imagination, things really took off. The VCS was the biggest selling gift of Christmas 1977, and all those lucky people who found one under their tree were rewarded when a port of Space Invaders arrived the next month, ratcheting up the console's popularity even further. Sales and acclaim continued to grow, and in 1982, the VCS begat a more powerful spin-off machine in the form of the 5200. The VCS itself was rebranded as the 2600 at this time and remained the main machine of the Atari family, remaining in production in one form or another until 1992. Atari got the mix exactly right. A huge library of titles, largely made up of arcade ports to draw in the hardcore, such as it was in 1979, and a steady supply of simpler games based off of familiar sports using more intuitive controllers. It's like a blueprint for the Wii U, except for that catering to the hardcore part and and the steady supply of games and excuse me I just need to go and weep for Nintendo for 20 hours Have you played Atari today? but those games 
Space Invaders, as mentioned, Centipede, Dig Dug, Donkey Kong, Defender, Galaxian, Mario Brothers, Frogger, Asteroids, Missile Command, and many, many more, representing the arcade side and doubling as a pretty exhaustive list of the most popular titles of the day. Original games came in the form of Pitfall, Adventure, Atlantis, Cosmic Arc, Kaboom, River Raid, and many, many more, all of which that did an impressive job of furthering or even outright inventing their respective genres. And, of course, the machine was home to a version of Pong, the game whose outrageous popularity launched Bushnell and Atari towards video game dominance in the first place. There are two major titles missing off that wee list, titles that deserve their own chapter of the 2600 story, Pac-Man and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Two pieces of software so notoriously bad that they are blamed for the collapse of Atari, the decline of the 2600 and the bleak, desolate consumer landscape that other companies had to spend so much time and effort trying desperately to claw back. Both games were licensed for exorbitant fees from Namco and Spielberg respectively. The rights to E.T. apparently costing as much as $25 million dollars. And they were expected to be such huge successes that for both games, more cartridges were produced than the number of Atari 2600 systems that actually existed at the time. So confident were Atari that these would be the games that made the machine a must-have. Both were horrifically compromised in development. Pac-Man by a decision to use cheap, low-capacity ROMs, and E.T. by a five-week development period rushed through to meet the Christmas window. So both make terrible use of the 2600's meagre resources. That wouldn't have been a problem if the games were able to die a quiet death, but E.T. performed well on the strength of its licence and marketing, selling one and a half million copies. Pac-Man was bundled with the 2600, topping out an incredible seven million copies sold. First the Pac-Man eats through a maze of dots, then the Pac-Man heads for the corner spot, then he eats his fill. All this meant, though, was 8.5 million disappointed customers, believing with all of their hearts that video games were a worthless waste of time and money. Even with the copies sold, such was the wild overestimation of the potential success of these games, something in the order of 8 million unsold copies of Pac-Man and E.T. ended up in a landfill in Alamogordo, New Mexico, along with truckloads of other cartridges and consoles after Atari announced a $536 million loss in 1983. Whoa! Tie fighters! Fireballs! Coming right at me! Watch the laser towers! Aim for the tops! Get in the cutout! Use the force! Coming too fast! It's way! It's way! My shields are gone! This won't be a surprise, but I can't in all seriousness recommend playing many 2600 games in any great depth today. The technology, interface and knowledge of what makes a video game was at such a foundational level that most of these once hugely popular, transformative titles would be laughed out of the app store if somebody tried to flog them as a free-to-play time sink in this day and age. But this isn't to say that revisiting the Atari is completely worthless. You could, right this second, log on to virtualatari.org and play a huge selection of 2600 titles via Java emulation. There's definitely an enjoyable afternoon to be had, sifting through some video game history and unearthing some hidden gems. As just one example, I found a game based on the hilarious antics of the adorable army field surgeons of TV's MASH, 
where you control a helicopter making runs into the Korean forest to rescue injured soldiers and ferry them back to the hospital, competing against another helicopter who for some reason wants to rescue those soldiers first, and the anti-aircraft guns that are trying to shoot you out of the sky. Once you rescue your quota of soldiers, you get a wee operation-style minigame as you pluck bullets from the fallen bodies, and that, apart from a respectable burst of the theme music, is the entire game. Back then, it was a AAA title. In 2014, it's five minutes of solid entertainment. No more, no less. You know, actually, that's a lie. More than that solid entertainment, MASH and the rest of the 2600 library is a connection to the magic of video games that first sparked in the public conscious all those decades ago. A magic that goes deeper than graphics or sound or, or even gameplay. Even if your first video game experience involved watching a beautifully rendered gangster paragliding over San Andreas or whatever game they let five-year-olds play these days, you saw exactly the same thing that Nolan Bushnell saw when he first looked at Space War. These little blobs of light that will move where you want them to move, and there's a whole world for you to move them around in. The Atari 2600 offered millions of people a chance to enter that world, and in doing so created the industry that we love today. So please, find some time to give a little of that love back. So Joe... Citadel, tell us all about Citadel. I hope you're strapped in. This oldest is game in the world. <laughs> it's like in for Joe, a wild ride here. What on earth is Citadel? Ah, uh, right. Well, Citadel is a BBC micro game. Uh, mm. Have you ever played Jet Set Willy? Have seen it? Yep. Exactly the same kind of style. You're in a big, big house, big map. And you start off in the middle of it, and you've got to explore. Mm. And when I was wee, I loved those, those kind of games because you just kind of get lost in them and go anywhere you want. I didn't even know what I was meant to do in Citadel, and to an extent, I still don't really know what you're meant to do <laughs> at the end of it. But um, I know it's one of those games where you, you just get plonked in the middle of this big castle, and you've got to go through all the screens and, and find your way to like various items and solve puzzles. Uh, I like to think of it as a sort of proto version of. You're going to laugh at this here, Resident Evil, a little bit, right? Because. The very first Resident Evil, you know, you, you go through a month. It's so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually pretty scared of it when I was wee, but I'll, I'll go into that later. Ah, that's right? awesome. No, like, um, the idea where you're in a big map that most of it's locked off and you've got to find the right key for the right door, Aye. find the right item to solve this puzzle. Um, so, the game doesn't tell you this, but the, the main aim of the game is to find these five crystals to activate a teleporter which takes you up to somewhere to kill the major body. Now, right. I don't remember any of that from when I was wee, even though we did complete it when I was wee, but um, what the moment-to-moment gameplay is, you're pretty much avoiding beasties and anything that hurts you on the screen and picking up items. You can only hold two items at a time, and that includes keys, and there's a lot of doors and a lot of keys in it. Okay. So you've really got to think about, right, I need to get that key and go to this door, and, and you, you end up backtracking a lot, but as you get to know the area and the whole sort of castle and the surrounding grounds and all that, you you know which routes you like to take back through, so you can try and be as fast as you can. And you've got to be as fast as you can because because it's an old game and it's bloody difficult. Mm. Every I'm, I swear it's every five seconds, but I think it's closer to thirty seconds. Your health goes down just a little bit, what? so you've Why? got just to make it harder because you're getting older. 
Right, <laughs> just a minute. So, so there's a literal countdown to death happening, and so you've Jeez. got to. So there's, there's, there's the odd little energy bottle uh-huh. like, around the place, but there's only, there's only like three or four throughout the entire game. That's so you've, way too stressful. Yeah, so you've like, got to think like, oh right, should I pick up that bottle this time round? Uh, I'm way back. This um, is 100 percent the way games used to be. Yeah, like this era, yeah. Where you like you're sitting there with like a massive bit of graph paper, yeah. drawing out your own map, yeah. planning your route. Well, that's the thing. That's what we did. But I was I was like five years old when I played it when I was younger, and. Uh, uh, when, when did it come out? Oh, 86 I, I think so, Yeah it was before so I was you, born You like, played it later than that though. Yeah I played it later than that like, we had, That's the thing We had a lot of old games that I didn't even realise they were old I just thought they were games And they were really cool You <laughs> know so But um, me and my brother My brother made out a map You know We, we, we folded a bit of paper Into lots of little squares And we drew out Right this room looks like this And it has this item in it mm. And eventually we did complete the game You know we got the five gems And I, f- I forget what happened next But I know that we completed it You know but it was just. That it I, sounds like a false memory. No, so, no, no. We definitely did. We definitely did. I didn't waste my time. We definitely did. But the thing is, that I, I just don't remember if it was like you know because I, I can't do it again. Like I try <laughs> playing it and I just die like halfway through because you, you just run out of health, you know. Because no. um, I, I haven't planned it properly and all that. But um, I suppose you get that kind of Metroidvania aspect where the more you get used to the game, the more you get used to the layout, the better you get at it, and the more you you can get out of it. Yeah, same sort of same sort of time certainly as Metroid. Uh, I think it was was it not before Metroid that the first one a wee bit. Well, oh, Metroid was eighty six as well. Oh, it was so. okay. Well, there we go. Um, I, We're talking about this recently, actually, trying to trace back the roots of sort of Metroidvania. Yeah, but see where the, 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 the so was you're actually, saying they should really be called Castletroids because Castlevania came first. <laughs> well, Vampire well, Killer did come first. Citadel but. actually is the. Th- there's a kind of vague series that it's part of. Uh-huh. Like, there was a few they made before that called Castle Quest, mm. which is like Citadel, but much, much simpler. Um, and it didn't have the sort of atmosphere of the Citadel. I think one of the things. Atmosphere. No, right, that's the thing. Like, when I was young, and to an extent now, it's got a kind of weird atmosphere about it. It's this kind of strange mixture of medieval and sci fi. Mm. You know, because it's a big castle you're inside, but then next to it, there's a kind of pyramid, and then there's a teleporter, and there's alien monsters, but there's also. The major sort of obstacle are these monks. Now, there's one on the front cover of it, and mm-hmm. I, 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 even just thinking about the cover right now, I'm coming out in a sweat because it's actually it's terrifying. <laughs> thing ever. But um, the monks are the only enemies that, that are smart. All the, all the rest of the enemies are, are either they, they stay exactly where they are or they follow the same path around the rooms. Uh-huh. But a monk will stay exactly where it is until you get close enough, and as soon as it sees you, it just guns towards you, straight towards you. Like, it doesn't matter what's in its way. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I, I, and the only way you can get rid of, of them is by using your only attack which is this little dart thing right but the dart you can only hit it in its eye if you hit if you hit the monkey anywhere apart from its eyes it's fine but you have to hit its eyes which are only like a pixel width yeah. and, and and the monks are the only enemies you can actually attack yeah Everything the rest of them you can't attack all right, and all you, right. can, you can only shoot one dart at a time you know and the darts don't go straight forward like they fall with gravity so you've got to time your jump and the sh- it's, it's really hard. <laughs> like your first encounter Aye. with a monk is terrifying. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds, it sounds like considering how terrifying it sounds, being that precise. Yeah, it really fits in with the sort of vibe of uh, British computer games at the time, and that it's not very actiony. No, um, it's yeah. it's much more about exploring and yeah. being part of the environment. Yeah, like that. The, the, some of the puzzles are actually quite clever. Like um, like most of it is just pick this up, pick this object up, go and unlock that door or whatever. But there's other things like. There's a room that you can't get past because there's a statue that a monster comes out of and kills you, right? But in order to stop it, the monster from coming out, you go. You have to give it some food. But mm-hmm. to get food, you've got to go into the freezer, get a chicken, go and cook it by 
by, nice. by dropping it inside uh, <clears throat> where a fire would normally kill you. Uh-huh. So you, you drop the chicken in and the fire touches it and cooks it. So then you take the chicken over, feed the monster and it never never hurts you again. I see. So there's loads of things like that. Like little little moments uh, where you've got to think logically about what to do. And it's like a really serious Dizzy game. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. Like the only being able to hold two items. Mm. The, yeah. Dizzy like, for the hardcore no, It's quite foreboding. And one of the things that's most foreboding about it is the intro to it. This voice comes on, this booming voice saying, Citadel, 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 like that, and over and over again, and then it plays Ferrejaka, a really jolly version of Ferrejaka. So you don't know what to expect. Is it a kind of fun game, or is it like a horror game, or whatever? But you look back at the BBC and you see all these massive, sort of weird adventure games like that, where there's hundreds of screens to get through. But um, but yeah, Citadel, playing it today is, is like Azure Dreams, it's bloody difficult it doesn't mm-hmm. hold your hand at all you know your health is constantly going down you've got to really plan your your way through the the castle because you're doing a lot of backtracking you've got those bloody monks who they regenerate as well if you go back to the screen after you've killed a monk it comes back Jinx. yeah no I, I've played Citadel for like 10-20 minutes mm. emulating it and given that I was also playing a lot of 2600 games for the machine story that you'll have all just enjoyed um like I think it, it holds up really well. Like it, there's there's a definite progression. Like it's it's controllable. The sprite goes where you want it to. Yeah. Like it it, it works. Yeah. It it's works. definitely one of the most solid games from the time. At a time when a lot of games were pretty much just kicked out the door and didn't work. I mean, uh, Jesse really famously can't be completed, and it's, yeah. it's what the, Citadel was an actual. It's a complete solid package to the point where I don't know if you saw this in the box art for it, but in the back of it, there's a competition. There was a there was a nationwide oh, competition. Right. The first to complete the game got a prize. Uh, and you don't get that with games now because games are you know you can complete them whereas back in the day you couldn't complete many games and this one you, you could if you tried really hard at you it. were born too late man <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what was the prize it was like a hundred pound or something like that <laughs> was it a, another BBC yeah yeah it was uh, something you want to tell uh, us it was Granny's Garden for yeah. the BBC yeah it's it's one of those games again where the game itself doesn't really tell you what the main objective is you have to read mm. the back of the box to say oh you get the gems Oh, that, that was something like like going into the game. Yeah. Like the game itself tells you nothing. Yeah. And also, like even if you did have like the explanation in the back of the box, mm. um, like it doesn't tell you what any of the items are. Yeah. It's just kind of, and you know, they kind of look like what they are, but a lot of them are just sort of abstract, blocky, eight-bit graphics, and you're sort of, I've got this vaguely conical green thing. I don't know what that's. Uh, it's say. just it just doesn't doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen to me. Like. You, I've, I remember from playing Alex, Alex Kid, you get all those items, and I was like, I don't fucking know what these do. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even look at them because now in games you get an item, and it's like, you know, they've hired a writer yeah. to write the <laughs> yeah. to write the board. Yeah, you got, you got like a dialogue box coming. It's like you find a conical green thing. So these things are normally really useful. Yeah. On the east side people uh, make these a yeah. lot and put them underneath torrents of water. Maybe that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, it's one of those things like the the world that does evolve as you play the game. Like, you have to, you find a key to open the door to hit a switch which lowers the water level in the sewers, which means you can go down and explore the sewers after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big pyramid that out past the desert, which you can't get access to until you've got a specific, specific item. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a whole other new area, you know, and there's lots of stuff like that. Like How how long is it then, do you reckon? I think, right, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can complete it in less than an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, you know, it's quite simple. You know, cause Not much replay value then. No, the, the replay value is getting to the point where you know how to complete it. Yeah, it, no, it takes that, a long that makes time sense. to it takes a long time to actually learn the game. Uh-huh. And then once you do and you complete it, then obviously it, it's just 
you do the same thing again. It's like it, it's the Monkey Island thing, you know. Like when you learn how to complete a Monkey Island game, and you, it's never the, it's always the same every time you play it. But Aye. if you enjoyed what you did when you did when you, when you were playing it, then it's endlessly replayable if you like that kind of thing. But yeah, it's not yeah, as if it will never be different. You know, it's always the same game again. Did you enjoy coming back to it? I did actually. I did. I, I, I had to play it through emulation, which wasn't quite the same because the kind of top half of the screen kept on kind of uh, glitching slightly. But coming back to it, it, was I was kind of surprised by how well the the puzzles and the sort of the, the movement actually worked. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 to play a lot of games from then, and it's so simple that it's almost unplayable. Whereas it was quite enjoyable. So what what made you pick it for for being on one more go? Then I mean, uh, why why do you think people should play it? Well, I think I think uh, people who are, are our age, I think, tend to feel that Nintendo and Sega is where games began. Really, whereas because I was either lucky or unfortunate enough to have a BBC <laughs> whenever else, I mean, you know, what I thought were contemporary games are actually much older. Uh-huh. But that to be, you know, that's there's a. The real roots of British gaming come from the Spectrum and the BBC and stuff like that. So I do feel that it's it's important to play these games because uh, like like Citadel and like Jet Set Willy and obviously there's there are more famous ones. But be, the, you see the genesis of ideas like the Metroidvania and how Citadel had nothing to do with Metroid. Yeah. I mean I'm pretty sure the guys who made Citadel when they made it and they made the ones before it had never played anything like it before. They just were playing about and was like oh. We've we've written this software that allows us to make giant maps. Let's make a giant map and put mm-hmm. items everywhere and stuff. You can see all that sort of experimentation working out, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But the best examples from the BBC and the Spectrum and all these other consoles or computers, home computers, um, they really shine, and you can you, you can see a lot of the the games that you play today, but just much harder. <laughs> So this month we were asking, um, virtual reality is on the comeback. Which classic game world would you like to explore through the magic of VR? Uh, the very first we got back from was at Elbowhead, who just said Doom. Doom in, in all caps. Um, so, um, I not th- having that as an answer really. I mean, you'd get pretty bored of exploring all the right. Doom world. Yeah, you would. It's red. Cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty harrowing, no, I would have really thought. can't really see that far ahead of you. Right. What's the point? Not a great answer, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, one here from uh, Minute5072 that says, I'd love to wonder about Broken Sword's version of Paris in VR. I'd rather that than actually go to Paris, which fair does, because yeah, yeah. you can't smell anything in virtual reality. I misunderstood the question, so BitSocket's answer was, old classic, F-Zero. Modern classic Vanquish. I was just thinking about what game would be guest to play. Ah, yeah. Although now I think about it, like see when you play F Zero and you're like, oh, I'd like to go through all those cities and stuff like that. So actually, I would quite like to explore the world of F Zero. There's, a, I think, a lot of people would say like games like Star Fox and yeah. F Zero and that for Oculus Rift. Do people forget that cockpit view sucks? Absolutely. Cockpit view is the worst fucking thing in these games. Star Fox, like, like especially all range mode Star Fox. Can you imagine trying to figure out where you're going in cockpit view? Especially, oh, I think I prefer it in cockpit view. Cockpit view sucks, man. You oh, you're a big racing game enthusiast, though, aren't you? Yeah. You're one of those Do you play racing games in inside the car view? I play it. Uh, I don't play it in the mode where you can see the dashboard, but I like. I have it on the like you know when you're first person. So you can't see your car. Yeah. 
No, no, no. That's the way you have to play it because Not it's faster that. and you can turn better with it. See, all my all my experiences of virtual reality are tainted by the fact that I like the only time I've played virtual reality was like back in the mid nineties, uh, uh, like with want, those headsets. You yeah, know I want ones. to say it was in like Avi Moore or something like that. It was like a total sort of like a Avi Moore tourist. Not Avi Moore. Avi Moore. Borderlands. Television. Uh, Avi more. <laughs> uh, um, Avi less, please. <laughs> and there was, like, you know, there was, like, it was some weird mech beat 'em up game. But like, like, did you ever like wear like a nineties VR helmet? No, not, not like. Often. There's no immersion going on at all. Or sp- no. It certainly wasn't with this one. It was a big heavy headset, and what I got was like a screen that basically floated like what felt like a foot away from my eyes, and I could see like big black border all around. Now, right. yeah, it did move with me so I was like looking at things but it was like looking at the world through like a great big cardboard tube Yeah. so it felt like the world was actually yards away from me and I didn't have a clue what was going on and I'm rubbish at video games and it was terrible and I hate virtual reality and stop it don't make me play we're getting there with VR we're getting there next up um Lixendring Alexander says uh, Res with a decent set of headphones the perfect synthesis of the visual and oral You'd, you'd like that. I love shot Res so much, but um, yeah, and I, because you're on, because that one's on rails, I think the actual confusion factor would be would be less. Mm. Um, I think you'd have to place your man quite far back from the action, so you could, you'd have like the full scope to take it in. But yeah, fun. Just Res, just play Res. Go out and play Res. Less of that, right? You, right? Your man make a games a lot. Jumping Flash so I can be sick with Vertigo. Rez since it look lovely and Shenmue so I can experience shopping for milk. <laughs> See, uh, Do you not get milk in Ireland, is that a... No? Yeah, another one from uh, Minute5072 says, I'd play the shit out of a VR version of Speedball. Right, see Speedball? I've only ever heard of Speedball 2. Nobody it's talks about Speedball. heroin and crack, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Speedball 2, right? Everybody talks about Speedball 2. Mm-hmm. Why does nobody talk about Speedball 1? Is it like a Street Fighter thing? Where yeah, it's exactly like a Street... Well, no, it's not that the first one was rubbish. It's just that the second one took the concept and was like right. so much incredibly better. The right, first okay. one is just... There's no point. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, Drew Tamendale saying uh, heavy rain, so I can experience what it'll be like to brush my teeth and turn door handles. Ah, oh, right. Ah, it's going to happen at some point. You're going <laughs> to get a, a VR David Cage shit fest. Like Space Bomber says, just as Paper Mario worked great in 3D, I would love to live a day in the life of a paper parappa the rapper person. Ah, good shout. That's right, pretty good. Yeah. And that would actually look quite cool in in uh, VR, like everything being three D, but oh, with Joe like Shin's no speech depth. bubbles in that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Simon Cole, the Sonic Mole power listener, gives us a very succinct answer: just Super Monkey Ball. I'm into that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way. Would you be to like get a lot? Like, would you be at the point of view? <laughs> would you be in, in the, the monkey? In the monkey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Would you be in, would you be, into the monkey? Would you be the monkey, or would you be like still the camera? Is it a rolling monkey? ball? Or it's is just it a rolling oh, monkey? Yeah. It's just the same question. It's like, would it be better in first person or in yeah. third person? I think. I think Inside that would. the ball might be, but it's a it's a two tone coloured ball. Would you just have to make it clear for the purpose? Of, <laughs> yeah, because you'd need to still feel like you were in a ball. Otherwise, you'd just be running a bit. Like. <laughs> I can see monkey ball working because you're not actually controlling the ball; you're controlling the environment. Um, so, so you know you sort of tilt so the world the con- around you. <laughs> you'd no, have you, know, to you move just sort of tilt the world around you. Yeah. No, no, this is raising it. a lot. Of it's, a, it's a good. It's a good way to get a lot of motion sickness very, very quickly. 
Quills N says, imagine experiencing the horrors of awful Sega CD FMV games through VR and emulation. Who doesn't want to play VR Nitra? Jesus, but with the same, the, the, same in, the same interface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sitting at a desk in front of all the security cameras. <laughs> Uh, but you can turn around and see your mate also looking at another security camera and just sort of go, yeah. I think I might go on my break in five minutes. Uh, Evil Ninja Phil says, What world would I want to explore in VR? Fucking Metro City, mate. Fucking up the Mad Gear gang in first person and shit. That's a lot of Sweden, I know, he feels very passionately about his, his yeah. me- him, Metro City That's Rob. him really getting into the game, though. That's what VR does for you. It's so immersive. Uh, Gamezilla comes back and says, Final Fantasy IX's Lindblom seems like a great place for a pub crawl. Aye, I think Does it? Is Lind- it? Lindblom's quite charming. I've never played nine, so couldn't tell you. This is a good answer because it's somewhere Th- this that's is so- a good answer. And let no, me tell you why. Because you get to explore somewhere that has a bit of charm to it. You know, yeah, I mean? it's not just yeah. it's not doom. You know what I mean? <laughs> doom. <laughs> I like it. Duke Nukem. I was going to the strippers. Go <laughs> look right down the toilet. Play the, the pinball. Eh. Uh, Sniggle Krantz says Carmageddon just one word Carmageddon's quite a good shout Destruction Derby might be kind of good fun as well yeah Destruction Derby is a good shout that's a better shout try try harder next time Sniggle Krantz and say Destruction Derby instead that's just repressed issues really I'd like VR Carmageddon you could just do it in reality if you want and not that I'm condoning that sort of thing but you'd maybe maybe get that anger out a bit better Pablo Clark brings us uh, Skyloft slash Wind Waker Eero Hyrule uh, Shadow of the Colossus's Landscapes Adventure Island Sword Coast Baldur's Gate 1 that's a lot a yeah. lot of choices in there you could explore Skyloft and enjoy doing nothing in VR that would be amazing <sighs> oh, we have words Skyloft <laughs> is one of my favourite Wind Waker though yeah Spawn Wind Waker would be quite cool Wind, well, Wind Waker just lovely yeah definitely mm. still so Adventure Island, though. The skateboard section would be pretty good. Actually, Shadow of the Colossus, like, it's a big empty landscape, obviously, but it still looks beautiful. It's so, beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Standing on those quests and just exploring and yeah. eating lizards. <laughs> what a great day out. Fun for all the family. Uh, McBee Pete says, Stroker on the C64, not saying any more than that. Never even heard Don't even know what that game is. Another good niche answer from our old mate McBee Pete there. Well, uh, I, th- I think that that's that's everybody's suggestions. A good what about, what about us, Joe? What, what would what be your one? Well, if I was to be a one. Well, you've already answered. I know I've already answered the game. The, you didn't the read the question. Uh, I didn't read the question properly. Do a proper well. answer, Joe. Ahead, be better. Entertain us. Uh, I think I have to agree with uh, Mickey Gamezilla, Shemu. Like, it's a world that is already brilliantly realised, but. I don't know, just it's, it's, a, it's a great place I want to go back, I'd love to go back to. Again, you could just go to China. Yeah, yeah no, no, you could just go to China. If but, I yeah, you know, I mean, this is the thing about gaming, the, the escapism that it offers, and especially with virtual reality, imagine being able to go to a shop and buy milk and to be able to have a shot on a forklift. It's not so much to be able that, to go to an arcade and play Space Harrier. Actually, to wait for a bus. To wait for right. a bus in VR. To look at a plate. <laughs> to spin that plate round in virtual reality. Right, okay, I've got, to watch your dad I've got a good answer for this, though, right? Shame you too. The last chapter, well, the second last chapter, it takes place in Kowloon. Mm. Kowloon doesn't exist anymore. So for many, it's like the only way to be able to experience it is to go to, you know? That is a good answer. Yeah. Basically, what you want is just that thing with the Wii U gamepads, the Street View thing. <laughs> you just need yeah, that yeah, only, only in a yeah. headset. Aye. 
Um, what about you? What would yours be? Uh, my answer would actually be Casino Night Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog. It just looks it's like... Pretty uh, good answer. Let's go to Vegas, mate. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's look like... Um, it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of nooks and crannies to explore, and I would just like to find the people actually live in Casino Night Zone. I'm sure they've got some stories right, to tell. I don't want a bit in that. I don't want... Scratching Gerinder. Sitting there. Like. I'll, I'll, I'll bike beef, don't I? Um... <laughs> I don't know what mine would be. It's probably. Just, I feel like if you ask me a question about games, the answer is either going to be Super Mario Galaxy or Xenoblade Chronicles. No <laughs> difference here, I guess. But I mean, they're pretty recent, so I'm trying to think back to something older. Maybe something like Final Fantasy VII or one of the RPGs that had like a really kind of unique world, mm. the kind of world that we're never going to get to see in our Final lifetime. Fantasy VII is actually a good answer. Like to to sort of contrast to your. Like Shenmue answer, it's like that's that's an interesting landscape to explore, but one you'd never want to go to in real life. Aye. You, you you'd want to have the safety mechanism, just being able to take off your your headset and just say, oh oh that's plenty for me. I think I'll have a nice sit down in the sunshine instead. There's loads of answers for that, like worlds, that, like skies of Arcadia, you know, like flying about in your own pirate. Well, listen to that. I mean, RPGs would be good for, yeah, RPGs for, for that. Instance. So you'll remember uh, last month we announced our brand new feature that we're going to be using to integrate you a bit more into the podcast, the One More Go Game Club. Yay. 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 So um, we'll have full details up on the Tumblr in a, in a post that will uh, elucidate all the wee things that we're going to do. But basically we're going to announce a game and then all of us are going to play it. But we want you to talk about the game as you play it using the magic of Twitter and using the hashtag OMGClub1. Because we are ONG, this is a club, and this is the first one. Don't feel like you need to talk to just us about it. If you know, as, as you go through and you're playing it, use the hashtag. Hopefully, other people will see what's happening on the hashtag, and then we can get a wee discussion going, and then we'll talk about it all on the show next month. Yeah, we just want your observations as you go through, like just talk about the wee quirks that you see there, and then we'll right. we'll aggregate it all together. And uh, oh, it's going to be lovely. And what lovely thing! It's going to bring us all together this way, Barry. Our first game club game is Tomba for the PlayStation. Uh, Whippy Camp's 1998 kind of side-scrolling platformer RPG. Um, known as Tombi when it came out over here back in the day, but the, the you'll find it on uh, PSN as Tomba. Yes. Um, you can get it on PSN for your PS3 or your Vita for six forty nine. So if you want to pay for it, then you know go on there and get it. But if not, easily emulatable. Um, I think we'd recommend using EPSX E for emulating PlayStation stuff. That's what we both use. Yes, we want to get into that. Um, if you're really, really struggling to find a, a ISO for it, I'm sure someone could tell you where to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, um, well worth it. So. Go and pick it up for your Vita or your PS3. I'm very excited we'll, about we'll this because I, I don't know anything about the game, but it looks it looks really good fun. So plenty to talk about next month, so that's it. Hashtag OMG Club One. Alright then, Nicole, uh, you've been playing Jet Set Radio, tell us all about it. Oh god, have I been playing Jet Set Radio? Mm. What a game! What a game! Unreservedly, like, after last month's, like, caveated all to hell, it's such a joy just to play something that stands up brilliantly today. This is 
phenomenal. Mm. Uh, a 2000, uh, year 2000 Dreamcast game produced by Smilebit for Sega, directed by uh, Masayoshi Kikuchi. For those of you who don't know, the game's sort of set in a sort of alternative hipster version of Tokyo where um, the, the streets are roamed by gangs of kids who go around on rollerblades, graffitiing up the place, marking their territory and making it their own. Your intro characters are called the GGs who hang around uh, Shibuyato. And there's lots of other gangs who try to invade your territory. And the way you get rid of them is by painting over their tags with your own tags mm. and declaring these streets are ours. But the most striking thing about the game, the thing that really made the splash when it first appeared, are the graphics. Mm. It's one of the earliest examples of shell... No, it's one of the first examples of cell shading, which um, is the effect where you've got 3D um, models, but they're sort of like matte colours, so they look like 2D objects moving around in a 3D world. Um, mm. It was first used in the PlayStation game called uh, Fear Effect, but my goodness, uh, Jet Set Radio took it and ran with it and created something that just looks gorgeous. To this day, this game looks phenomenal. Big, bright, bold colours, everything's got a big black outline. It's one of the most visually striking games that have ever been made and it's completely unmistakable it's very dreamcast like. yeah. very dreamcast very dreamcast and um, so it came out in uh, 2000 in a th- around about June in uh, Japan the US and PAL versions came out four months later with expanded soundtracks and uh, two extra levels uh, mm. set in America we got a pretty good deal then yeah, yeah. four months is quite for a it's localization that great, though. Well. two extra levels but one extra song by Rob Zombie you can't win them all Oh, oh, but that's only in the US version. I know, we it's were not fine. In Pal. We, we were, were fine. Oh, we were okay. Yeah, that's fine. horrible. But, yeah. well, you, with one hand they give you Rob Zombie, with the other hand they give you Improvised by Jurassic 5. Yeah, ah, that was good. That's pretty good. So, yeah, absolutely great. But, um, uh, Japan got... What um, Rob Zombie tune was it? Was it Dragula? I think it I might think, have been, actually. Yeah, it might, it might be it. <laughs> I, was like, I, I literally just read it the other day. I, I couldn't tell you a Rob Zombie tune. It's in the PSN version if you want to hear it. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, uh, Japan got a deluxe version in January 2001 called Dela Jet Set Radio, which contained all the expanded soundtrack oh, and cool. levels and characters and things like that. So yeah, so like I say, the story is that um, your area of Tokyo is uh, you. You start out fighting these rival gangs, and eventually it, it, it becomes apparent that a shadowy uh, group called the Rokaku Group, group, a group of suits are. Uh, trying to take over your territory. They're actually trying to take over the world. They're trying to piece together a record that will summon a demon and allow the shadowy um, boss of the Rokoku Corporation to uh, to take over the world, Mr. Goji Rokoku, who uh, later in the game, and you'll like this, Joe, apparently had a wee uh, cameo in a game called Yakuza, uh, something like yeah, that. He's ahead of a crime syndicate in Yakuza. You can always, it's, a, it's a secret thing, though. It's like the ultimate secret in Yakuza 3, I think it is. So. Uh, cool. uh, it's pretty cool. Oh, cross promotion there. Rob Zombie in it. <laughs> I beat him up. <laughs> so the way the gameplay um, works out, you get your your levels. The these are little like beautifully designed like playgrounds mm. like levels, um, and all around them there are tags. They're 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 graffiti spots that you have to hit. Um, the biggest part of the game is grinding on like rails and and things like that, and building up big sort of acrobatic leaps to get to every area. Um, as you're doing it, the police are around and they're trying to stop you. And the more tags you hit, the more sort of crime you perpetrate, the more they come after you. They they sort of bring out the big guns. So, uh, in the early levels, first of all, it's just like a few guys like towing around with batons chasing you. Yeah. Um, 
eventually uh, they start to bring out the tear gas and things like that. But on later levels, they'll they'll start bringing out helicopters are coming after you, tanks like guys with like flamethrowers strapped to their backs, things like that. So the important part about the the game is really learning to plan your route to get the best way through it Mm -hmm. to like make sure that the the slightly easier tag or like the the least accessible tags, the ones that you can get to without the police bothering you too much are easier to get to because you're you're timed you've got limited resources your characters can only hold hold so many cans of graffiti at once cans of graffiti cans of spray paint at once which is what you use to make graffiti of course you just unfold it (laughs) 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 like there's there's two types of tags the ones that you have to hit to complete the level are Mm -hmm. delineated by red arrows and there's green arrows that you get for just uh, more points the more points you get you get ranked at the end of the level if you get well this game's version of an S rank, it's called a Jet rank. The more you get of them, the more sort of uh, characters you unlock and things like that. Cool. And uh, oh, what a plethora of characters! Beautifully designed, interesting looking guys. And they've all got like their sort of strengths and weaknesses in terms of like how strong they are, how much damage they can take from like the police or falling from great heights, how many cans of spray paint they can carry at once, or how mm-hmm. good they are at jumping around and acting the goat. Who's your favourite character? My favourite character is Cube, who is uh, one of the yeah. American ones. She's a wee goth-looking lassie, but yeah. she's uh, lassies are always the best characters in these sort of games because uh, they can jump the best. I think uh, Gum's the coolest, but the one that I tend to go is Garum because he can hold the most paint, and he also looks pretty cool because he's got the big gone sunglasses on. Yeah, absolutely. Garum's a Garum's a cool-looking yeah. guy, uh, but you know, um, especially w- w- in terms of hidden characters, once you get all the other hidden characters, you can go Potts the dog. And right. anyone who's looked at our Tumblr background knows that Potts the Dog is the coolest right, character right. in the world. You have to get a hold of him. Um, there's various different types. Like it's not just um, the levels are not just sort of races to to tag all the things. There's there's uh-huh. different sections. Like in the early part of the game, you are sort of like taking over the other territory, which your um, your uh, sort of rival gangs control. Your your territory is sort of roughly like sort of a Shibuya central. Tokyo sort of yeah. area, so it's like right in the middle of the city. Um, there's Koganito, which is like a sort of suburb sort of area, so it's lots of like houses and you're like like low roofs and things like that. So you're dancing around on top of those. Um, that's controlled by uh, the noise tanks. No, no, that's Poison Jam. Poison Jam. That's Poison Jam. Like guys who wear sort of like monster masks and things like that. And uh, Bentento, which is like. Like like nighttime center of uh, of it's Tokyo. The Shinjuku kind of area. Ah. Um, so like that one's got like lots of like sort of higher levels, and it's also like based around a sort of railway system. So you've got like like all the sort of footbridges that are interlocking going over the the railway, and then there's like an underground that you can go down and like grind along the rails uh, through the underground and things like that. So good. Yeah. But like at the end of each of these sections, in order to, to defeat the rival gangs, you've got to chase around three members of them and tag them on mm-hmm. their backs. Like they, they need to spray each of them like 10 times. That's how you take over their areas. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and then there's like on each, once you sort of finish all the missions in each section, you've got um, different types of missions like Jet Technique, which is just like a longer sp- period of time. To go around and like tag things and like practice your jumping and things like that. Uh-huh. That's also the best way to collect graffiti souls, which are like the only sort of real collectibles in the games, which are icons which unlock different uh, types of graffiti for your character to go on. I mean, there's like thirty different types of each size of graffiti. Yeah, and this is where it becomes really sort of customizable and uh, like a lot of longevity in there. Like, can you make your own graffiti tags? You can. The interface is horrible. Good. It's really <laughs> difficult to Isn't make graffiti on the Dreamcast, but 
back in the day when the servers worked, like people would, like mo- people with much more talent than me would yeah. upload different graffiti tags, and there was it was a really customizable game in that way. That's cool. If you had a JPEG on your VMU as well, you could use that as a background for it. So mm. I had a picture of Link, but the JPEG took up like three quarters of my VMU space, so it wasn't really <laughs> worth it. Yeah, no way, that's cool. So that's that's like the main meat of the game. It looks incredible. It still plays beautifully today. Mm. There are some bad points. The camera can be a little bit. Uh, yeah, I notice when you move towards like walls and objects, the camera can be a bit unpredictable. It will swing around quite uh, easily, and especially if you're on like a long grind on a rail, if the rail curves or anything like that, the, the camera will swing around a bit. Can make things a little bit tricky. Um, the controls as well, like in keeping with the sort of an arcade vibe of the of the Dreamcast, they've kept the controls as simple as possible. So you've basically only got like one action button for jumping, and the two uh, triggers: one to make yourself go faster while you're skating, and the other one is dual has a dual purpose: one activate sort of spray painting when you're next to like a taggable area, but also to center the camera behind you, which can get really tricky when you're like sort of trying to get a tag area but it's just like swinging the camera around mm-hmm. and uh, in those um, sections where you're chasing the, the the rival gangs to tag them on their backs like you're just sort of skating as close to them as you can and like hammering left trigger so when you're not spraying it means the camera's constantly recentering behind you oh, okay. it just mm-hmm. becomes really confusing but to be honest these are minor minor, minor quibbles um, it all kind of comes together with the fact that because you're on skates, like the main theme of this game, the main thing about it is uh, is momentum, building momentum, finding ways to to gather enough speed to do the acrobatics that you need in often very confined spaces, which is what the sort of cities provide you. And with like cops or uh, sort of Rokoku group members like trying to chase you down and grab hold of you every second, so that can become quite tricky. Yeah. And like. Verges, it's so close into becoming this is unfair. Like when I'm failing, oh, okay. it's not my fault. Okay. But God, it's just so charming. It's so beautiful. What's the, uh, what's the music like you'd expect with radio and the title that the music would play? The the music is incredible. It's very very sort of hip hoppy. Um, but there, there's some like sort of like sort J- of West Japan's Coast idea hip hop. Yeah, though. yeah. Well, I yeah, well, the, the the Western release had Jurassic Five and stuff like that on it as well. Mm. Max Master Mike. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's like a mixture between hip hop and J pop and stuff like that. It's really really cool. There's a lot of sort of like a pop punk, like sort of like West Coast new wave pop punk, like involved in there. Uh, not quite to the extent of something like Crazy Taxi soundtrack, but yeah. it's so upbeat, it's so fun. Uh, the composer was uh, Hideki Naganuma, who um, really tied together like the like the the pre written soundtracks and and everything. It, oh, I love this game so much, Barry. <laughs> mm, I can't tell you. I, can see I can't that. tell you. Um, I mean, it's just d- delightful. The the graphics, the 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 feeling about it, and like I say, when you play it today, like I've been playing it on my Dreamcast, it feels like a game that could have come out yesterday. Uh, the aesthetic is so strong, mm. and it's such an argument for really chasing an aesthetic, like like building like an actual design <coughs> aesthetic in your games. Uh-huh. Too many games these days, well, too many games forever, have tried to chase realism, like photorealism, oh, and yeah. nothing dates worse than an attempt at true representation. Um, if you've got like a, a stronger aesthetic, if you if you're like just slightly outside of, of reality, if you're drawing it in a certain way, it'll stay fresh 
forever. And how how did that relate in terms of legacy then? Well, in terms of legacy, unfortunately, not that much. Like you said, there's not that many games that really picked up the bat. And the game itself only had one. Uh, well, it had one sequel and a couple of uh, spin-offs at the time in 2001. You got a Japan-only uh, Docomo uh, phone version called Typing Jet. There was a Game Boy Advance version in 2003, all right. um, which is like an isometric view. It actually uses like all the same maps as the main one. It's got all the characters and things like that. It's maybe the same fault that made Tony Hawk's for the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> <laughs> So, so hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun, but uh, I, I've not played it myself. Have you played the I game? Had it, yeah. yeah, is yeah. it is it worthwhile? Does it play? No, well? it's, it's cool. It's um, it's hard to control. It's hard to see how, how high you are in relation to other things. Cause it's all isometric, mm-hmm. uh, and it's only got like four songs in it because it's in the game by fans, and they only loop after a minute. But as a sort of proof of concept, it's pretty cool. You're like, holy shit, it looks really good, and it's true about the aesthetic as well. Because Tony Hawk on the Game Boy looks like somebody's. Wiped their ass in the screen. It's like it's really it's awful. It's very muddy whereas, and brown uh, Yeah, whereas because Jesse is so colourful and clean with the black lines, it really suits it. It works really, it works really well. Yeah, cool. But you know, you don't have to play the Game Boy Advance version because on PlayStation Network, XBLA, Windows, iOS, and Android, um, you can get the uh, PSN version for six pound forty nine. It's an HD remake. It's in nice. widescreen. Yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to put people off the iOS version. Oh, uh, <laughs> the controls are awful because the controls are yeah. Touchscreen controls are terrible, really bad. I think you spend the majority of time playing it just trying to get your character to move. Like, <laughs> fucking <laughs> move! It's pretty, pretty horrible. There was also a sequel in 2002 called Jet Set Radio Future, which sadly came out on the Xbox, so I've never played it. No, oh, right. I have played it because I never had an Xbox but I worked at a game shop at the time and uh-huh. I borrowed an Xbox for a week just so I could play Jet City in the future oh, and it's it's better than the first one great well the one thing about it is this is one of the few games that's backward compatible with the 360 so I'm very tempted yeah. just to buy a 360 yeah. so I can get yeah, Jet Set Radio really Station mine if you want. you'd be better off buying a first, the original Xbox because the, it doesn't work properly in the Xbox 360 and some of the busier places it slows down to nothing like so it may be better can't get it on PSN or anything like that no the, no the, the, the Jet Set Radio Future was never re-released it was only ever that one wonder why I don't know I think it was something to do with Sega at the time just made a lot of games for the Xbox they, they, they re-released it in a double pack with Sega GT but even that was like the only time it mm. came back it's a real shame yeah. it's a real shame but like I encourage all of you to go mm. out and buy this whichever way you can because not only is it a wonderful experience we desperately need to get Jet Set yeah. Radio Future remade right. yeah. we need to get all the sequels possible to it yeah. it's a great game it's a criminally underexplored concept yeah. and it's fantastic I, th- I always think when you thought about Jesse Radio though it's always good to think about Jesse Radio Future as well because Jesse Radio Future is one of those games that like that, 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 it works with its predecessor so well that you have to play both of them there's no better version between the two because they're both great but in their own, their own different ways just go and buy the game <laughs> <laughs> we come to the end of another One More Go Joe have you had, you had a good time hanging yeah. out with us yeah it's been wonderful thank you good. it's been wonderful having you aye oh, it has. you've really handsomed the place up I don't know if say, but I, I don't know if having Scott would have been as good you know I don't know <laughs> I know, You'll and be it would. Listen to that. Well, the way we are is like Nickel and Joe are kind of sitting opposite me, and having Nickel and Scott. <laughs> you <laughs> might know. I start to feel a bit sick. Like, but, but that I'm would be like boys. that would be like a 3D TV, just very slightly different images I've for your left the, and right. Seen the past and the future at the same time. <laughs>
<laughs> this oh. is hilarious if you know what Scott looks like, or me for that matter. Mm. So I think we we decided this month um, we'd let you we'd let you pick some music to to play us out. Yep. Uh, no, usually you guys go on a wee bit of history about this. So I'll a wee bit. Do a wee bit of reading, find out the guy behind this. So I've chosen the Grandia Two battle theme. Right. Mm. Now, obviously, Barry, you know, a GRPG lives or dies by its fights. Yes. And, uh, and its fights live or die not only by its systems, but how good the battle theme is and how much you don't mind hearing it because you have to uh-huh. hear it like a million times. Uh, Noriyuki Iwadari, the guy who composed the soundtrack to Grandi, I looked up some of the other games he's done just to see if there was a sort of house style that I could apply. But mm. actually, he's not one of those Nobui Uematsu kind of where he's got a huge fan base or anything. Yeah. He's not that prolific. He, he turns up now and again just doing like home ports of Sega arcade games and stuff like that. But the one series he's been there from start to finish with is Grandia. And uh, you can hear that he's got a huge amount of different types of. Uh, genres that he uses in it, you know, there's like jazz and there's rock and all that, but mm. but the Grandia Two battle theme is the one, one of the most well produced, like full of amazing guitar riffs. Ah, it's the way you just like, punch the air and go yes like that, you know, it's that kind of battle theme. You know, I always think Final Fantasy X came out recently in HD, right? And they rearranged all the soundtracks to it. But I heard for the first time ever recently the battle theme from Final Fantasy X. And I remember thinking as soon as I heard it, like this came out two years after Grandia Two, and it sounds like it was recorded off a Casio keyboard. Uh, Whereas Grandia Two, the battle theme sounds like it's so full on. The, the sound is so nice and full and bassy, and it's it really, it really, it's one of the most, it's one of my favorite pieces of music in any game. So, is this what you listen to when you're going out in the streets of Kilmarnock looking for folk to beat up? <laughs> yeah, that's the Yakuza soundtrack. Put your goggles on. Uh, and that. So yeah, no, Grandia Two battle theme. That's what I, that's what I thought I'd choose. Nice one. Um, and we'll be back next month for more One More Go and for some chat about Game Club. Don't forget, if you want to get involved with Game Club, just go on to your PSN, get Tomba, and talk about it using the... using What's our hashtag now? Our hashtag oh, it's OMG Game Club 1. Ah. No, 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 it's OMG Club 1. I know, I was taking the piss. Oh, were you? <laughs> you are really difficult to read with these jokes. Uh, there's been a couple of jokes today, they've not made the edit because they're just barely jokes. I know. It's a warning for anyone who wants to get Joe on their podcast. So. <laughs> I'm fucking weirdo. Um, play no, Tomba. Play OMG Tomba. Club we'll one. talk about it. And in the meantime, you can check out our, our Tumblr where we've been putting up more gifts, lots of gifts. Yeah. For absolutely. the last couple of games, hopefully quite a few for this. What's the Tumblr address, Nicole? It's uh, one more go podcast.tumblr.com. And as ever, you can speak to us on Twitter at No Stopping Epoch or at Nicole Hay. And if you're interested in BitSocket, you can get BitSocket on Twitter at BitSocket. And where can we listen to the podcast? Uh, Tumblr, no, it's bit-socket.tumblr.com um, or, go, or just search for an iTunes. Ah, cool. And when will we be seeing the pilot? Uh, well, we'll need to see. There's a lot of stuff mm. going on, but but it's finished and we're very chuffed with it. So Good. So, well, cheers again, Joe. Uh, hope you had a good time. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, and to play us out here is a battle theme from Grandia 2. Mm-hmm.